Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. Well, if you are a preschooler, uh, you can be dismissed at this time for Children's Church. So uh, Whitney will be over by the door in front of the sound booth. She's the one holding Marshall. Uh, Marshall's the one being held by Whitney, in case you didn't know. Um, and you can go with her uh, down the North Hall for, for Children's Church. You can be dismissed at this time. And, but, and while they're doing that and we're all getting settled in, I want to give just a few minutes here to give you a brief infomercial. I've got a great deal for you about how uh, you can be involved uh, with a lot of the things we've got going on here around the church as we enter into the fall. So I've got five things for you real quick. Um, I'll take a half hour for that and then a half hour for the sermon. How does that sound? No. Uh, but first, you might have noticed when you came in this morning, uh, on the tables out here in the fellowship hall, we have uh, pieces of paper, two pieces of paper stapled together. And those papers are there. They're free for you to take if you want to take them home with you today. Uh, but they just summarize all the different ways that we have around here uh, where you can serve. Uh, on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday night. And so we wanted to put those together uh, just as a, a quick thing for you to look at. If you want to take one uh, and look it over, see they show you where you can serve and who you can talk to if you want to get involved. And so uh, if you want to take one of those after church today, you can look at them, ask God how he might be calling you to uh, serve in a new way here around our church. Uh, second, as you've heard already, uh, next Sunday we'll be having a quick meeting after church to vote on some uh, revisions to our bylaws that we've been working on over the last few years. They're all related to how we appoint elders and deacons uh, as a congregation and what we expect of the people serving in those roles once they enter into that position. And this is something you've probably heard has been going on, a uh, process has been going on for a long time, long before I was here. Uh, but I'm grateful to have uh, had the opportunity to have been involved in that over the last few years, kind of the final stages of this process, and we are excited um, about what this could mean for us as a, as a church going forward, because I think these shifts will make us better equipped for growth and for raising up new leaders as a church, and all together will help us be more healthy as a congregation for, for years to come, long beyond when any of us are here. So if you are an active member of the church that meets all the requirements to be able to vote. We hope you'll stay around after church next Sunday real briefly uh, and be a part of that. And if you have any questions about any of that in the next seven days, feel free to talk to me or Isaac or Whitney or any of the elders, and we'll help in any way that we can. Third, uh, the adult Sunday school class that I've been teaching in this room during the nine o'clock hour over the last few months came to an end today. Aw, you know, we're all sad about that, I know. Uh, so starting next week, we're actually going to be adding two new adult Sunday school classes that we'd love for you to come and participate in uh, if, uh, if you're uh, willing and able. So uh, during that nine o'clock hour, Dennis Martin will be teaching in this room uh, through the Gospel of Luke, and we'd love for you to come be a part of that. Or if you'd prefer, Ron Petrovics is going to be teaching in the uh, conference room down the South Hall, leading a video study called The New Testament in Its World. Uh, so we have both of those going on at the same time. Uh, the one in here is digging in deep on one specific book of the New Testament, walking through the story of Jesus told from, from Luke's perspective. And then uh, the class Ron will be helping to lead is a DVD study, kind of 
trying to take in broad scopes uh, the story of the New Testament as a whole, the world that it's a part of, and how that helps us read the New Testament well. So we hope you would uh, come and be a part of, of one of those. I started to say one or both of those, but that's not actually possible. Uh, so come and be a part of one of those uh, during our Sunday school hours starting next week. Uh, fourth, uh, starting next Sunday, we're going to be adding a coffee bar out in the uh, fellowship hall between Sunday school and church. So that'll be over on this side, uh, on the on the west side, I had to think about my directions for a second, of the fellowship hall. Uh, if you were here on Mother's Day uh, a few months ago when we had uh, lattes and things available for our mothers, it will be a little bit like that. We're not getting rid of anything on this side of the fellowship hall. I'm, we're not putting Rodney and Dennis out, or Rodney and Denny out of work uh, with making coffee over there, but if you would prefer uh, fancy coffee instead of uh, what Denny serves up, you can come uh, and, and get that. I'm not making fun of Denny. I, I know it sounds like I was, but that wasn't my goal. Uh, I forgot to laugh, though. I guess it's okay. Uh, so uh, you can look forward to that starting next week. And then fifth and finally, uh, next week on uh, September 14th will be our first Wednesday night of the fall here at Marion. And if you have been involved or been around, you probably know Wednesday nights have kind of been the thing that have been the most in flux because of COVID. We've had to shift and change lots of things over the last, the whole time I've been here basically of what Wednesday nights can be and how we can do them well uh, in the world we've been a part of. So uh, we're going to be shifting things a little bit into the fall here, but we're excited about what we have lined up. So it'll start at the same time at 6 o'clock on Wednesday nights, and it'll start like it has in the past. Out here in the fellowship hall, we'll have simple supper at 6. So come at 6 and have dinner with your family, with anyone else, with your friends, whoever else might, might be here. And then at 6.30, we will all, everyone who's here on Wednesday night will come in here in this room, and we'll have a brief time of uh, worship in song together. Uh, everyone of all ages in here being led in worship. And then from there, we'll dismiss to our age-specific programming. So Isaac will have the youth group in here. Uh, the younger kids will be down the North Hall in their classes. And then the adults will be with me in the conference room. We're going to be making our way through the book of Isaiah uh, over the course of the fall uh, with, a, with a video study there. And so that's what Wednesday nights are going to look like in the fall. We've got stuff for all ages. If you have kids, if you don't have kids, if you like kids, if you don't like kids, we, we've got it all for you. If you want to come and have dinner and come be a part of a time of worship together and, uh, and studying God's word, uh, no matter your, your walk of life. So I know that's a lot. I just, you know, shot a fire hose at you basically for a few minutes. Um, but we uh, are excited about the things we have in place here for the fall over the next few weeks. So uh, if you have more questions about anything I've just said, feel free to talk to me, Isaac Whitney, uh, any of the elders after church today or here in the coming weeks. And more than anything, I hope you'll want to come be a part of uh, whatever God is calling you to come and be a part of, because we feel like we've got um, some good things planned for the fall and we want as many people to come participate and experience what God will do in and through us over the next few months. So uh, would love to have you come be a part of that. But none of that um, happens apart from God's, uh, God's blessing on us. So if you would join me, uh, I want to pray again, and uh, then we will get into the sermon. So let's pray. Father, again, we are grateful for who you are and who you have called us to be as your people. We thank you that you have not just called us as individuals, but as your church, as your body to live life together. So as we do that in the next few months, Father, in all the ways we normally do and all the new things we will have going on, God, we ask that you would be with us, 
God, I've been reminded in the past few weeks of Moses' words to you in Exodus 33 where he says that we do not want to go anywhere if your presence does not go with us. So Father, we ask that you would hear that prayer from us as well over the next few months. Forgive us for when we think it all rests on our shoulders instead of on your spirit working in us. Give us wisdom and insight for how we can work well um, and follow your calling as your people. And above all else, God, would you be glorified um, as we follow where you lead us in the fall and beyond. And it's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. Uh, Jesus is an endlessly fascinating person for, I think, a seemingly endless number of reasons. And as we've been making our way through the parables over the last few months, I don't know if you have felt that or not, but it has been a reminder for me of just all that Jesus is that we can never fully encapsulate. Uh, Jesus is God in the flesh. He is the Savior. He is the ruler of the universe. He is the one who has conquered sin and death for all time through his own death and resurrection. He is the one who invites us into eternal life with him, and he is so much more. But above all, uh, uh, in addition to all of that, I, I hope you have seen as we've made our way through the parables that he is also good and a wise teacher during his ministry. And we will probably never perfectly hold all that Jesus is together in our minds at all times, but I think it is worth trying. Because we can default into holding on to bits and pieces of who Jesus is, thinking he's useful here and there. He has things to say about this realm of my life, but not this other part of my life. He's good for in the future. He's not so helpful right now, whatever it might be. But Jesus does not come to us in bits and pieces. He does not come to us and invite us to choose our own adventure as we follow him. He comes to us fully as he is and invites us to follow him as he is. And when we take Jesus on his terms, what we find is that he cuts against our preferences quite a bit. If we will actually listen to Jesus as he is, we will find that he does not fully conform to any culture, any time, any place, because he is who he claims to be. And so if he were a, a God, were someone who uh, never confronted us from time to time, always conformed to our own preconceived notions, always just said what we were thinking already, he would not be worthy of our worship. He would at best be as intelligent as we are and therefore unnecessary. And so if Jesus truly is God in the flesh, truly is all-powerful, all-knowing, and so much more, then we will find moments where we find him cutting against our default tendencies. And we will also find that when those moments happen, we might not like it at the time, but what is happening is that he is offering us something different from our world and something that is far better than what our world offers us, even when it is difficult to hear. And we find that in the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today at the tail end of Luke chapter 14 with Jesus' approach to crowds. If you were here with us last week, you heard uh, Rick preach on the first half of Luke chapter 14. And Rick showed us this story where Jesus is at a dinner party with a bunch of religious leaders and he tells this story of a man who throws a great banquet. And yet when it comes time for the banquet, all the people that had originally been invited refused to come. 
And so what he does in response is he sends his servants out into all parts of the city, the alleys, the the rough parts of town. He sends them out of the city, out into the country lanes. He says, go find anyone and everyone. He says, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, and bring them into my banquet because my table has to be full. And Rick showed us that Jesus tells this story to religious leaders who thought they were in God's good graces. They had it all figured out. No one else did. And therefore, they could look down their nose at anyone who did not identify with them. And Jesus tells this story to show them that they are missing it and to show them that everyone, no matter who they are, what they've done, where they've come from, is welcome at the banquet table of God's kingdom. And we're picking the text up immediately after that story here today. And we're told right away that Jesus has large crowds following him. It seems like Jesus here is about as popular as he has ever been. And that makes sense if you are a part of this group of people that is not a part of the religious elite. If you've spent your entire life being told by the the religious people that you can't draw near to God for whatever reason, because of some condition you have or some behavior, whatever it might be, if you have been told your entire life you can't come near to God and then Jesus shows up and says, actually you can, and throws the door open wider than it has ever been thrown open before, that's a pretty exciting thing to hear and to want to be a part of. And people are buying into this message Jesus is giving. Now, I've never flown first class, and I'm not sure this is a perfect parallel, but if you can think of it in those terms, that you have been, whether it's for your job or vacation, whatever it might be, you've flown a lot in your life, and you've never been allowed to fly first class. You know, every time you board a plane, you, you walk through the early part that they make you walk through, and you've got to look at all the luxury of first class that everyone's enjoying, and you have to think about how great it would be to be there and, and wonder if maybe you could sneak in, and then you get to the end, and they have that, that curtain, which is just insulting, and then they, like, slide it shut, and you got to go sit back there with the mere mortals of coach or whatever it is. If that had been your experience, every time you had flown your entire life, and then one day you met someone, I don't know, you met someone that owned the airline or something like that, and they said, hey, as long as you're with me, you can fly first class. Anywhere you want, anytime you want, just make sure with, you're with me and you can fly first class. The door is thrown open. You can have everything you ever wanted, and Jesus is doing something similar here. He is coming to who are broken, the outcasts of society, the down and out, the people who have been kept away from God for their entire lives, and he is saying that if they will follow him, they can draw near to God in a way they never have been able to before. So as we begin our story today, Jesus has his approval ratings through the roof. He has mass appeal. Everyone wants to be a part of this new movement that is promising access to God in a way that has never been available before. And in the ways of our world, when you have this sort of momentum behind you, you want to capitalize on it. You want to capture the essence of whatever it is about what you're doing that is effective because if you know, if you can distill down what it is that is good about what you're doing, then you can franchise it. You can send it into other parts of the country, other parts of the world, so that other people can be a part of what you're doing, hear what you're saying. Maybe you write a book, you start a podcast so that you can document what has been effective in your life and other people can learn from your wisdom and be effective in the same ways. And as you do so, the crowd following you gets bigger and bigger. You receive more influence and acclaim and admiration. And what we'll find in this passage is Jesus goes in a different direction. In the midst of all this excitement, Jesus will probably do the exact opposite of what a marketing firm would advise. 
Jesus opened the door to God wider than it has ever been opened before. And now in the passage today, he tells this crowd that if they actually want to walk through that door, they have to go to the cross first. They have to go through death itself so that they might have life. And Jesus walks us through that in this passage with a premise, two parables, and a promise. So let's start with the premise in verses 25 to 27. It says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. This will be a shocking thing to hear today, and it is probably even more shocking to the crowd following Jesus as he says these words. Because in the culture Jesus is a part of, everything centered around your family. That is where you had your identity. That is where you found meaning. Those were the people that were supposed to matter first and foremost above all else. And Jesus says that if you want to follow him, you need to be so devoted to him that by comparison, it looks like you hate your parents, your spouse, your children, and your siblings. And it's at this point where we tend to want to water Jesus down. I mean, Jesus tends to be so warm and accepting in other places, he can't surely mean this. I mean, just before this, he has invited anyone and everyone to come sit at the table with him, and now he's saying that actually, if you want to come to his table, you have to hate the people closest to you, the people that it is assumed by the rest of your world that you will care for first and foremost with every breath you take. That message doesn't sit well in Jesus' day, and to be honest, doesn't sound much better in our world today. So we start trying to explain things away. Now, Jesus didn't really mean this. He's emphasizing to make a point. You can still love your family and follow him. And, and there's a grain of truth to that. I'm not saying you can't love your family. Jesus is exaggerating a little bit. But I want to caution us that just because we don't take Jesus literally here does not mean we do not have to take him seriously. Because there is a weight to following him. And if we are to follow Jesus, we are to put him first. No reservations, no excuses, no loopholes. If we are truly following Jesus, that means if it ever comes down to Jesus or anything else, we're choosing Jesus. No questions asked. If we are ever actually in a position where we have to actually make that choice and we choose Jesus instead of whatever else it might be, it sure might look like we hate whatever it is that we are not choosing. If we choose faithfulness to Jesus over illicit business practices, it will probably look like we hate our work, our, our work, our coworkers, our employer, whatever it might be. If we choose Jesus over whatever our family might expect of us, it sure might look like we hate them. And yet, even when that choice is difficult, Jesus says to choose him. That is his premise. And he will not water it down. And just in case we thought we could water it down, he says that to follow him is to carry a cross. And as we read this now, we have context that obviously is not available to the people listening to Jesus as he speaks. I mean, the cross is where Jesus dies. It's where he pays the debt for our sins. We know that. We celebrate the cross. I'm standing under right now. You might be wearing jewelry that is shaped like a cross, and, and that is good and well, but we should also remind ourselves that no one listening to Jesus say these words had that context. Carry a cross was a death sentence. 
When Rome sentenced someone to death by crucifixion, they tied the horizontal beam of the cross around their wrists and made them walk through town like this so that anyone and everyone knew what was about to happen. It was a statement. A statement of shame and humiliation and mocking of the person being put to death and anyone who was willing to associate with them. And Jesus says that to follow him means to follow him down that path of humiliation that leads to death. One of my professors has said, salvation is free, but it will cost us our lives. Jesus' premise is that to follow him means to follow him to the cross, to certain death. And since it is a matter of life and death, it should not be taken lightly. Jesus has no interest in half-hearted obedience that picks and chooses what it likes about him, but tries to maintain personal autonomy. To truly follow him, to truly enter into the life he desires for us, means to take up the cross. And to illustrate what that looks like, he tells us to parables. Picking up in verse 28, Jesus says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Anyone beginning a building project who knows what they're doing will sit down and budget out whether or not they can afford to complete this project they are undertaking. I mean, it just makes good sense. If you start a project and you can't finish it, you have just wasted your time and your resources and everyone else's who are involved. I, of course, wasn't here when this building was being built, but it's been interesting to me over the past few years if I meet someone around the community uh, if, they, if I tell them where I work, they'll say, oh yeah, I know where your church is. It's out you know, on the southeast side of town. And, and you guys, I remember you guys, when you were building your building, the roof fell in one day. And I don't bring that up to bring up hard feelings or anything like that. But it has been interesting to me because, and it's not the same thing that Jesus is saying here, but it gets at that same point of when you're building something, it's hard to hide when something goes off the rails because it's visible to everyone who is involved. If someone started building a tower in Jesus' day for their own security, their own protection, whatever it might be, and they get the foundation laid and that's it, they will look foolish. Instead of having a great tower, they've got something that, you know, maybe a pedestal to stand on. So it's better to make sure what you're si- you know what you're signing on for before you begin. And in the same way, a king considering going to war will weigh all their options before they send out troops. I mean, if a king discovers, as Jesus says here, that he is outnumbered in battle two to one, he better have a good plan for how he's going to be successful because the odds are against him and lives are at stake. I mean, remember everything you have learned over the course of your life in history classes about the Revolutionary War. 
Every person that put their name on the Declaration of Independence had to decide if they were willing to sacrifice for something that did not seem like it would be successful. They had to decide if they were up for the fight. And Jesus says something similar here. Any good leader will explore their options and decide what the best route is for their own well-being and for the sake of their people. Jesus says that following him is just as weighty. As we consider following him, we need to think it through from every angle and decide if we are willing to pay the price because Jesus calls us to the cross and nothing less. So what is Jesus trying to accomplish with these stories? I mean, is he just wanting to scare off everyone except the most committed? I, maybe. I think some yes and no. Given what we're told across the rest of Scripture, I don't think this passage means Jesus is just automatically opposed to any big crowd. I mean, the Gospel of Matthew ends by Jesus saying, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter preaches the first sermon at Pentecost, 3,000 people are baptized. I don't think Jesus is saying here that as once a crowd reaches a certain number, whatever that number is, it can't actually faithfully worship him anymore, so all crowds are bad, the smaller the better. I don't think that's Jesus' point. But I do think Jesus is opposed to crowds gathering for a show and not understanding who he is. I think Jesus is opposed to people who say they will follow him as long as he checks their boxes. I think Jesus is opposed to people gathering together because they like him, they just aren't committed to following him. And he wants us to pause and consider if we understand who he is, before we begin the journey. That's the point he's getting at with these two parables. And we might hear that and think that sounds harsh and difficult, and maybe it is, but that's not his goal. He calls us to the cross, ultimately because it is the life we were created for. That is the promise on the other side of counting the cost of following him. This passage ends with verses 34 and 35, where Jesus says, salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for, so, for the soil nor for the manure pile. It's thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. The entire point of salt is to be salty. It's a profound insight, I'm sure. And salt has all kinds of purposes, but they all tie back to that fact of being salty. So if salt loses its saltiness, the only thing it is good for is to be thrown out. And to be fair, salt as we have it today, the chemical compound of sodium chloride is stable. We don't deal with salt one day just losing its flavor or something like that. But in Jesus' day, where you're mining salt out of the ground, down around the Dead Sea, it was possible for it to get mixed up and diluted so that it no longer was able to fulfill its purposes. But the point Jesus is making here has nothing to do with the chemical compound of sodium chloride. Salt that is not able to fulfill its purpose has no use. And without context, that might sound like Jesus is just making a statement about how you need to clean out your kitchen cabinets, but it makes a lot of sense as the tail end of the premise and the parables that Jesus has given us. Those who do not follow through on their commitment to Jesus, those who might begin following him but don't continue, are like salt that is no longer salty. 
They have not done the thing they were, have been created to do, and therefore there's nothing to be done but to throw it out. And that might sound narrow, but that's the, that's the reality of Jesus' kingdom. Each and every one of us were created in the image of God for a relationship with Him. So no matter what might be specifically true about each individual person, the one thing true about each of us is that we were created to follow Jesus. Jesus doesn't want us to miss out on what he has created us to be. The promise of this passage is that when we follow him and take up the cross, we find our true purpose in life. And we do not want to miss out on that. Jesus says some hard things in this passage. He promises us that if we actually want to follow him, we need to consider if we're up to the task because it might just cost us our life. Jesus has no interest in making things easy. He's no interest in smoothing off the rough edges to keep everyone happy. He is upfront and honest about the cost of following him, inviting us to give up everything so that we can take hold of him, which is not the message we get from many other places in our world. Maybe even more so this time of year where fall is starting, school's new, there's endless opportunities about what we could do over the next few months. It's honestly not a great compliment to the message of here are all the things we have going on at the church if you want to participate in them this fall. If you're thinking, boy, this is a weird sermon to preach right after giving an infomercial asking people to participate in things this fall, believe me, we're on the same page. So much of our world, at times even the church, is based around what makes things simple and easy. And yet Jesus has no interest in that. So if that's the reality, what, what's the appeal of following Jesus? I mean, we need to be honest. If, if Jesus is serious that following him might lead to death, why stick with him at all? Well, if I can attempt to answer that question, I want to paraphrase the New Testament scholar N.T. Wright. Because typically when we read a passage like this and Jesus says hard things like this, we picture him like a politician on the campaign trail which honestly isn't a bad parallel, but I think it falls a little short in a passage like this. Because, I mean, imagine a politician standing up at an event and giving a speech and saying things like, hey, just want you to know, if you vote for me, I promise your wages are going to go down, your taxes are going to go up, you're going to have to move, you're probably going to be separated from your family, so who wants to come and be a part of it? Like, no one's even going to waste time heckling someone like that, because it just the message makes no sense. And sometimes we hear this message and think Jesus is a politician, campaigning in an odd way. But what if he isn't a politician, campaigning as one voice among many, wanting to get us on his side and vote him into office for a term, and then once that term's up, we can decide if we want to keep following him or, or latch on to someone else? What if instead Jesus is an adventurer, leading a, a journey through a high and dangerous mountain pass, trying to uh, bring medical aid to villagers who are trapped in a natural disaster, and, and is recruiting people to go along with the journey, and is saying things like, if you want to come with me, you will have to leave all the extra baggage behind. The path is too difficult. The, the task is too great. We can't have anything beyond the bare minimum. In fact, things might get so hairy, it might be better for you to write a postcard saying your last goodbyes before we leave. 
And we might hear a message like that and think it's harsh, but given the stakes, it makes sense. And maybe that, those are the terms Jesus is speaking on here. And when we start to listen to him in that way, we see that he is not proposing policy we can choose to endorse or reject one way or another. He is an adventurer inviting us on the journey of a lifetime. A journey that will bring with it all kinds of threats and difficulties and maybe even death, but that death might lead into the most incredible destination we could ever imagine. The cost of following Jesus might lead to being rejected, cast out, hated, despised, condemned, I don't know, even put to death. In other words, in the worst case scenario, following Jesus leads us down the exact same path that he walked. And maybe that was supposed to be the point all along. Jesus calls us to the cross, but he also calls us through the cross and into resurrection. That's the life we have been created for. A life that might not always seem simple and comfortable in this world, but we were never meant to live a life that was simple and comfortable in this world as it is to begin with. Jesus calls us to life with him. A life that might have trouble, it sure did for him. But a life that culminates in resurrection. Dwelling with God in eternity, all sin and death and evil defeated. God's people dwelling in God's presence for all time as God intended. No matter who you are this morning, that is the life you were created for. And so don't miss it. I don't know where you are this morning, but I know he is calling you to and through the cross. And if you have never followed him, I want to be honest, I'm not up here saying that the moment you say yes to Jesus, all of life's problems go away, but I am saying that he will lead us into true life. If you have been following Jesus and it seems like things aren't going the way you want right now, hold on to Jesus because only he has the words of eternal life. If you're listening to me and you think, boy, that sounds like a lot, I'm kind of okay with just putting one foot after Jesus and one foot wherever I want right now. I am telling you, Jesus has so much more in store for you. Life apart from Jesus, even life partially apart from Jesus, will never deliver on the promises it makes. You were created for a life that follows Jesus to and through the cross, and so take that step. Don't settle for anything less. Follow Jesus to and through the cross. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the words of life that you have brought to us and, and all you have done in your death and resurrection. Father, we ask that you would give us wisdom for how to respond. God, you know, who, you know our hearts, you know where we are, you know what we need, so would you reveal yourself to us even in the next few moments? Give us insight, give us wisdom. Help us follow you and take the next step and follow faithfully wherever you lead so that we might experience life with you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this message given by our own senior pastor, Monty French.